Hey, Jason. Hey, what's up? How's it going? Well, I'm inside of a little pod in the cool living space that I'm at in Ubud, and it's a core pod, so it's theoretically soundproof, and it's got a code on the door and not a lot of arm room. So it's not actually that good of a core pod, but at least we won't have any background noise for this recording. And yeah. also, for anyone who's listening, this is take two of a recording where we <laughs> uh, completely bungled some software and lost our last recording. It's always a pity when that happens because like you always have such high hopes for like the young plucky underdog who is uh, the you know whatever recording system we're using fortunately we got to the end of our lovely discussion about uh today's topic and uh yeah it just bombed out yeah uh, yep. so not very good well you, do you want to tell everyone what uh, today's topic is as a roll us in Welcome everybody to another episode of Herman and Jason Spin the Yarn. We are now 30 episodes in and surprisingly we only bungled it on the 30th episode. I think so far we've had quite a good run in terms of our uh, sort of mechanism of recording and getting them out. Yeah, we're going to be talking about coffee, which is uh, kind of quite apt for our podcast because it is the theme of the podcast. So if you look at the sort of images and some of the sort of uh, descriptions of our podcast it is kind of uh, centered around this idea of coffee coming from cape town coffee flows strongly through our veins does it not <laughs> it definitely does cape town has a very strong coffee culture there's uh, it's kind of the the cape town stereotype that it's men with beards sitting at coffee shops on their macbooks and i realized that I have a beard and I have a MacBook and I sit at coffee shops regularly, so it's not, it's not too, uh, too bad of a stereotype. But yeah, we've got great coffee culture over there, lots of local roasteries. You could probably go to a different local roastery every day for about a month, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a few popping up because it's quite, I would say, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's like quite a complex complex thing to do is to grow, uh, roast your own coffee but also it's quite simple because you're all, all you're doing is just taking raw coffee beans uh, which you have to source from somewhere and just sort of putting them into this like sort of rotating roaster thing and yeah uh, well it's one of those things that you can do in your like in your own little shop right is like yeah th theoretically both you and i can go and start our own roastery and you know assuming we've got a taste for it and the time and energy and we want to gain that knowledge we could probably go and produce some pretty good uh locally roasted coffee within the next six to twelve months whereas if you want to be an engineer well you've got a, you've got a lot more work to do yeah yeah and i think you'd probably be more respected amongst the community if you're a coffee roaster than as an engineer it's true it's cases. true I, I always tell people it's like the person who you must make the best friends with is your barista because they yeah. they are where you begin your day and you want your barista to see you walk through the door and be like yes i love this guy i'm gonna give him some great coffee you don't want the barista to be like ah this fucking guy pours you a bad yeah. like a bad shot of espresso and just like ah. yeah <laughs> so what would be your ideal coffee shop i figured out what makes a coffee shop good right and it's actually three things the first yeah. one is the coffee needs to be genuinely good, right? And that's like, that's fairly obvious, but 
people like you you have to be serving good coffee the second one is that it needs to be well noise controlled like you can't have music playing too loud no one's coming into a coffee shop to listen to your bad choice in music jared um mm. it also like needs to be a little bit away from the road so that you're not just bothered by traffic noise because coffee shops are also communal places this is where people yeah. grab a coffee together i mean that's that's so yeah. baked into into uh like our our the way that we speak that grabbing a coffee together means we're gonna go and sit somewhere and have a chin wag right mm. and then the third one and this is my opinion but i've i've kind of seen this uh, from place to place is coffee shops that people tend to spend the most time at are well lit right and I, when i say well lit i don't mean they're bright i mean like there's time and effort spent in making sure that it's got a good vibe and a good ambiance right um well lit could mean that it is a bit a bit darker but the lighting suits the theming right um mm. or it could mean that it's a bright coffee shop with you know some pot plants uh, where people go and sit and work for the day on their laptops. And those are the three most important things I think that makes a coffee shop mm. is, uh, 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 like a good coffee shop. And interestingly enough, I didn't mention service because what I've noticed is people don't really care if the barista is nice to you. They'll like go to a coffee shop if the coffee is good and the, the vibe is right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would maybe add like, I think that like a, a sort of feeling of space so I've, I've been reading a lot about like, you know, if you're in a sort of environment where you've got like wide open expanse. So if you're looking out at, at like a horizon, for instance, it sort of has a psychological effect in your brain that you start to sort of become more creative in a sense. So it like boosts those kind of uh, parts of your brain that make you, you know, creative. And that's maybe why I enjoy going to my office is because it's got like that wide expanse. So you feel like, you know, a little bit a little bit more creative so i think uh all that those aesthetic vibes and also uh, like a a decent sort of space uh where you can see lighting and you can see other people around uh doing their work because i think there's a subconscious thing for myself is that i'll see other people working and so i feel like i should be working uh, which, <laughs> yeah uh, it's in some cases you can you can go to a coffee shop and you don't necessarily <laughs> you don't necessarily uh you know you just block around like a few times that we we went to one of those coffee shops in cape town and we just hang out in the morning just and just park around yeah, yeah exactly exactly but and what just you get say is, super wired and super, get super <laughs> wired but like that's the, what you make a very good point over there is that like one of the one of the things about coffee shops is that they are conducive to you know working on your laptop to the extent yeah. that you now get soundtracks that are just like busy coffee shop that you can listen to when you're not yeah. in a busy coffee shop to pretend that you're there while you're working <laughs> yeah there's like there's like a um there's an app called coffeeativity which just has like the the humble the the rumble of a of a coffee shop uh which apparently like does boost creativity and make you just work a little bit harder yeah, um, yeah. but yeah the my first cup of coffee right uh so my first mm -hmm. cup of coffee i think was uh i went with my family to a on a trip to to france i think uh we were staying in the UK and uh, it was quite common for people to drive uh, from the UK over the ferry to France. And I think we were staying in some sort of felt like a darkish hotel somewhere. It was like one of quite a small ho hotel. And uh, obviously in hotels, depending on where you go, they usually have sort of the typical Rick coffee or the sort of 
uh, instant coffee, which is usually in a little pot and you boil your own water and you pour, you like throw that water into your cup. You give it a bit of a stir. Maybe there's some crema because uh, they don't have milk. So you do that. And um, I, my, I think my dad or my mom was having and I went over and I took a sip and I think I must have been like probably around six, seven years old. And it tasted absolutely disgusting. Uh, and I was like so horrified. I was just uh, sort of bewildered at how anyone could drink such a vile drink. Um, and for a long time, I also kind of stayed off coffee, uh, even from like, you know, entering high school. I don't think I was that much of a sort of coffee drinker in the morning. Um which I think was good. And I think I only really started getting into coffee, you know, when I got into university and, and around that time, maybe like, you know, eight, like 16, 17, 18, going into, into, into high school. Um, and for you, I oh, think you, so you started, you started pretty early. I started pretty early because my mom was an avid coffee drinker. And so there was always a, you know, pot of filter coffee that she would make in the morning. Um, either in a big percolator or in those little maca pots. And so I can't actually say when my first coffee was, but I also went through an instant coffee phase uh, when we would do a lot of camping or when we did a big, uh, a bunch of big trips up through sub-Saharan Africa, Zambia and Mozambique and stuff, where the man who my mom was seeing at the time would drink re-coffee or Frisco. Uh, which are two instant coffee brands that if you're from South Africa, you're undoubtedly familiar with. Um, and so I, I, had a, I had a relationship with instant coffee for a bit, but in university, I, you know, always had a nice uh, coffee machine, um, filter coffee mostly because in university, you like do a lot of late nights and uh, early morning lectures. And so having just one coffee is is too little uh, and also you want to be economical about the amount of money that you spend so i personally was you know a poor student so i wasn't going to the coffee shop on campus i was i was making a big pot of coffee at home and getting wired and then going to lectures yeah um yeah interestingly enough i was on the campus of a private high school uh about a month ago no before i came to set but about three months ago uh right before i left south africa and there was a coffee um, trailer, right? That they actually mm. had like a, 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 some baristas and an espresso maker. And I'm like, shit, are they, are they serving this stuff to kids? Because I remember back, back when I was a kid, yeah, they like coffee was, you know, this is in the realm of yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your alcohols and stuff. This is firmly for yeah. adults. <laughs> I mean, get like. Back in back in those times, it was like, yeah, give them as much sugar as they want. But coffee, no, that's like you know, <laughs> caffeine. That's a drug. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I, it's quite surprising actually. Maybe it would. I, I thought it would like when you first said. I thought maybe it's just for the parents. You know, gives the parents like. Oh no, no, I saw I saw you know to. fifteen year olds uh, just uh, yeah. lining up over there, getting ready for that fix. <sighs> you know, like times getting times are getting tough, and uh, those kids, uh, <laughs> they do. I don't know, like. That's, I think that's a challenge because as a kid, you're supposed to be naturally full of energy and uh, sort of unneeding of, of things like coffee. I think creating that dependency so early, um, imagine what they, 
they're like when they like graduate they must be just like <laughs> i don't know well, just like zombies and caffeine is the only thing that kind of keeps them going uh, so, potentially. so let's let's get into that then so so as we know caffeine is the most consumed psychoactive drug in the world i would argue depending on what you classify as a drug i would say caffeine is probably the most consumed drug in the world mm. bar maybe alcohol and nicotine mm-hmm. or maybe more than nicotine i'm not sure i didn't compare those but mm. we drink a lot of coffee worldwide and yeah uh i mean do you want to run us through just kind of the basics of how it works uh yeah so i mean we basically like apart from oil i think caffeine is the most exported commodity uh so it's very very uh sort of big in terms of uh, dollar spend and like the predominant producers of coffee are usually the the kind of ones that you see in the coffee shops uh on the front label and those are things like uh brazil colombia honduras indonesia where you're where you're now uh ethiopia where i think coffee did originate um and yeah it's just like loads and loads of trade uh and coffee is like you know one of one of the sort of most uh important commodities um especially for the developing economies uh in the world so it is an important thing and it's good that we have (laughs) more 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 sort of customers in the form of children um but yeah so the the way the way that coffee works uh i mean from the beginning uh, like the chemistry of it and some of the things you would have felt when you were maybe uh, at university doing your study sessions so the way that coffee works is it kind of uh it blocks uh something called adenosine so in your brain you've got adenosine receptors uh so adenosine is something that uh builds up throughout the day uh and it's you can think of it kind of like a, it's almost like a chemical and in your brain, you like start off the day, you've got low low levels of adenosine. And throughout the day, it starts to build up in your brain uh, just from you know your normal activity and those kind of things. So you've got these receptors and these receptors are actually feeding the adenosine. And after a certain time, you start to, you know, get, get sleepy and, uh, you, know, you know, towards the end of the day, it's one of the things that causes you to want to go to sleep because you've got this big buildup of adenosine. And I assume when you sleep, it kind of gets cleared out. Uh, we did do an episode on sleep. Um, so go back to that. What caffeine does is it actually blocks uh, the receptor. So the receptor is trying to, well, the receptor is receiving this adenosine uh, and this caffeine will just block it, but it doesn't actually stop the adenosine from piling up. So you can think of it as like, you know, uh, there's a pileup of adenosine. The uh, receptor doesn't actually react to it. And so you feel a little bit more awake and that's kind of the the caffeine high. What can happen though, is that if you have too much caffeine, the adenosine does still build up. Uh, It doesn't stop. So when the caffeine eventually wears off and the caffeine does have a half-life, it can actually cause you to um, have a crash. Basically, if you have like a midday crash or a late day crash, it's usually because you've had a lot of caffeine, the adenosine still built up or you're, you know, tired, still tired from the night. And then eventually you get like this huge sort of whack of adenosine, your receptors kick in and you want to go to sleep. Um, interesting enough, you, you did mention drugs. Uh, I didn't know this, but nicotine actually, uh, actually reduces the half-life of caffeine. So if you think of like the typical sort of European, uh, they always start their day with like a cigarette and a, and a cup of coffee. 
So it's quite interesting to think that there's almost like an adverse reaction there. So uh, up to 50% uh, half-life reduction from the nicotine uh, is happening. So your coffee and smoke in the morning is actually maybe not as effective in terms of increasing the caffeine effect. So maybe that's why, you know, people need to have more frequent breaks because they both need the coffee <laughs> to keep them alive and also the nicotine. So you can think it's an endless cycle. So uh, exactly what you said is, yeah, uh, adenosine and caffeine share very similar chemical structures. And so the caffeine just pops into the receptor and blocks the adenosine. But what is fairly interesting, and this is what leads to caffeine dependence or caffeine addiction, is that our brains actually start growing more adenosine receptors the more caffeine we use to try and compensate for the lack of uh, adenosine being built up over the day because your body obviously is like, hey, what's happening? I need my adenosine, need to get some sleep. And so if you drink coffee for a period of time, there's you know lots of research about how long it takes to become addicted to and then break the dependency of caffeine. Um, but essentially you build up a whole bunch of a whole bunch more adenosine receptors, which is why you slowly start increasing your caffeine intake over time. And if you decide to not drink coffee anymore, well, now you've got all these extra adenosine receptors and your brain produces a lot of adenosine. So, you know, you stop drinking coffee and all these adenosine receptors are now accepting more adenosine than you should reasonably accept be accepting throughout the period of day and so you get real tired and you get a headache and you get grumpy and you go and you have a coffee anyway because why are you trying to to break the dependency <laughs> of something that's obviously so good um, yeah but you know at the the function of caffeine and blocking adenosine receptors obviously messes with sleep um mm -hmm. and i'm sure you've had what? like that you know you drink a cup of coffee before you go to sleep and it just <laughs> fucks you Except for some people, some people seem to be able to drink coffee almost as like a nightcap. Uh, I don't know if like, you know, sometimes you go for a meal. Well, this is like almost a practice. Like sometimes you go for a meal and like you'll have your dinner and then someone's like, oh, you want coffees before you go home? Uh, but I think at that point, it's probably to counteract the effect of alcohol uh, rather than, <laughs> than to, to try to uh, wake you up. Or I guess if you, if you are in South Africa, usually you would have to drive a certain distance to get home. So I guess the coffee is also kind of a little bit more of a boost to make sure that you don't sort of career off into the into a ditch. Well, um, so so you're you're right over there. It's like people take that post post dinner coffee because they have to yeah. get somewhere. But yeah. people who are like, oh, I I have a cup of coffee before I go to sleep because caffeine doesn't affect me anymore. It's like it might not feel that way, but it does. Like we've researched yeah. this, and if you yeah. drink coffee right before you sleep you're probably not going to get as much sleep, like definitely probably not going to get as much mm. sleep, but also the quality of your deep sleep, like your REM sleep um, and your like dreamless deep sleep states are, mm. are like, comp like decimated is caffeine definitely affects your sleep, even if you don't think it yeah. does. So, you know, probably and stop drinking coffee after midday. Well, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's like, yeah, the, the sleep cycle and most of I, I'm reading a lot of research about the, the sleep, like how sleep is good for you. And it's usually like the cycles that happen towards the end of your sleep cycle that is actually like the, the most beneficial. So by interrupting that, maybe also caffeine and late nights and waking up early, that's also quite uh, inefficient. What is your current coffee habit, uh, Herman? So 
since I've been traveling, uh, what I do whenever I get to a new city or town or whatever is I find the place that I think has the best coffee within walking distance from where I'm staying. And then I just religiously go there. So I'll start off like first week, I'll go to a bunch of different coffee shops, you know, until I find the one where like the coffee is great. And it also is well lit and not too noisy. And then I'll just religiously go there as soon as it opens every morning. And, uh, and I make friends with the barista, you know, and we, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we build that rapport. Um, mm. But uh, back home, I have a mocha pot that I'm pretty adept at using. Uh, and mm. then what I've also been doing here, although not in a boot, but I was doing this in Chiang Mai and uh, Phuket for that matter, is most hotels don't have coffee making facilities. Uh, and sometimes they're not close enough to a coffee shop or a good coffee shop for you to reasonably get that fixed early enough. So what we would do is actually go to a coffee shop the day before and get a double shot of espresso. And then the next morning, just boil some water, shot of espresso, hot water, there's your Americano to start your day with. And that works really, really well for me. Although uh, I think when I get uh, back to Cape Town, is I'm going to buy an induction stovetop and a percolator that works in the induction stovetop. And what's nice about induction is that you can like down to the degree uh, mm. set the set the heat. And so mm. I can figure out on on this specific mocha pot with mm. this specific brand of coffee what is the per- and you know filled up to X point. What is the perfect heat to run this? coffee through yeah. the ground or the water through the grounds that to make like the perfect cup of coffee every time so that's yeah. that's my experiment when i get back home awesome yes yeah, so, i mean that 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 aspect of coffee is like one of the sort of more exciting parts for me uh so i i'm a big fan of the marker parts uh, i'm also currently uh going down the route of a chemex so this is like a glass jar if you haven't seen it it usually has uh sort of wooden tie uh, which happens like it goes around the neck of the glass and it's more a gravity fed system so you would have i have like a manual grinder so i grind the coffee and it's usually 30 grams uh that i measure out in in a sort of uh i've got a scale so i'll measure out 30 grams grind that up put that in into the into the sort of uh, uh conical uh filter add some water making sure to stir at the right amount putting in the exact same water uh, and to a certain extent, I feel a bit like one of those chemists, you know, like I feel like I'm doing some, some sort of science experiment. Uh, and yeah, like taking taking the more like science-based approach from it uh, and making sure, you know, you have that consistency across each brew. And then once you've got that, you can start to compare different brands more effectively, right? Because if you make one brand and you, you don't, don't make it consistently, then you can't really uh, figure out which ones are the better brands or which ones are like nicer for you um but yeah like i i also am a fan of the aeropress that one's like super efficient if you want to just like you know pump out some coffee um and yeah i mean for me one of the really exciting things is just like inside the the chemics just like that slushing when you like swirl it around and see all the colors are just like ah oh, it's so it's it's so good yeah um, so uh, uh, so we did a 
we did a home barista course together at Origin yeah. Coffee, and we got we learned how to use the Chemex, and we learned how to use the mocha pot well. And I think we even did the uh, AeroPress and the yeah. yeah the French press. Um, but the most obscure one for me was that uh, reverse vacuum. Yeah, uh, what's it called? The reverse vacuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maker. I know the one. Where I, I know the one. That one over there is like proper proper chemistry it's got like yeah peakers and you've got your little bunsen burner and you like create a yeah. vacuum in this thing and it pulls it through absolutely wild absolutely wild yeah um and i think it also it also adds to the culture of like if you if you go into like a north so there's like the lower end of a coffee shop so there's you know typical coffee shop they usually have you know some sort of press coffee at the back uh you know they've got their their sort of um uh, espresso machine and you know it's a little bit dirty at the back but sometimes you go into like a high-end coffee shop and they like clean almost like an apple store kind of vibe uh, and they've got like you know they'll have the prices and it's usually like individual letters that they put out in a, in a price and <laughs> there'll be all these contraptions and all of these sort of like measurement devices and all of these scales and uh, if you see all that kind of paraphernalia you know you're into a, in a good coffee shop yeah but unfortunately sometimes like you go in and the coffee is you know a little bit like water uh one coffee shop i went to recently was like it tasted like tea like like beans steeped in tea <laughs> which is the weirdest thing uh what is your current coffee what's your favorite coffee shop at the moment well, so so what you say about about sometimes going into a coffee shop that has all the right aspects, but the coffee is shit. Yeah. I'm like, how, yeah. how 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 did this happen? How did this happen, guys? Have you tasted yeah. your coffee? <laughs> <laughs> I um, guess it goes out, it goes down to your rule number one, right? The coffee has to be actually good first. Yeah, like that's that's like rule number one. So the coffee shop that I'm uh, frequenting the most is called Current, and it's currently right outside the co-living space that I, I'm living at, which is actually really lucky because I've gone to a bunch of coffee shops around the area, and they are consistently mm -hmm. making good coffee every morning. And, you know, what I'll also do is I'll leave them a nice review, and then they'll be happy that I left them a review. And yeah. I've also been just going through those, you know, buy six, get your seventh cup of coffee free um, mm. quite fast. But... Uh, I'm also very religious about like not having my coffee too late. So uh, one of the problems that I was having in Cape Town is the coffee shops that I frequented, they knew like this guy drinks black Americanos. So I would like rock up and they just put a black Americano down in front of me. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't uh, spend the time to, you know, make sure that, uh, that they didn't bring it to me after midday. And that is unfortunate because they'd put down a coffee in front of me at like three o'clock in the afternoon and it would completely <laughs> ruin my sleep. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also like decaf, I never find is, is quite uh, the same. It's something I do to that, those beans that just make it not so nice. For me, uh, I, my, I kind of have a lot of different coffee shops around that I kind of sort of randomly go between. So uh, it's almost like I'm trying to, uh, lose some sort of person that's following me because I'd never se seem to go to the same coffee shop. Uh, there's one that I really like, which I go to on Fridays, which is called the Ethiopian Coffee Shop. It's all, it's also called like Ground Control. I think it's got like there's usually two brands, uh, but it's run by some Ethiopian people, and uh, the coffee is uh, from Africa, 
Uh, and it's quite nice because it's got sort of like this nasal furniture and it's like a little bit of a terrace outside, like a very small terrace. And you can sit there and the sun will like bake you uh, like just for like those few hours in the morning, you know, before I, I go and start my work. Um, but yeah, when I'm at work, there's like a couple of coffee shops around. So sometimes I will, uh, you know, on my way to work, I'll usually stop by, have a coffee. I've also got a lot of uh, um, sort of loyalty cards that get stamped or get <laughs> clipped. So uh, it, so... Is, it is quite useful. So, so like one of the reasons that coffee is so good bar the caffeine is that it actually has like a huge host of positive effects. And like there's a, there's decades of research on this that it protects against things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and dementia. And caffeine allows you to focus, which is good for the work that we do in the modern age, which we'll get into later during the industrial revolution and the age of enlightenment <laughs> and all that. Um, yeah. But interestingly enough, in the West, especially in places that have very poor uh, food quality, like the United States, it is the biggest source of antioxidants in that population because wow. people aren't really eating berries every day and aren't, you know, doing like consuming as part of their diet other things which have antioxidants. And coffee is the anti antioxidant uh, producer of choice for many people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that that's quite interesting. So I think Starbucks is probably doing doing the the United States a favor in terms of like being probably the the sort of biggest uh, coffee brand in the world. Um, but yeah, I, like the the coffee shops I go to don't necessarily have a place to sit around, right? Uh, for me, like when when I'm thinking in the morning, it's like more about efficiency. So I'm going in, just stopping by. Hello, here's my coffee. Uh, then I walk out, but I do like every now and again to go into a coffee shop where you have, you know, the laptops, people working. And it's quite interesting because that was quite a cultural thing for, uh, you know, the coffee houses of Vienna where they had, you know, people going to a coffee shop. It was more of an occasion. It was an away, a way for people to uh, have conversations with one another. And it wasn't always conversations about sort of what you're doing at work, but it was where thought and progress and, uh, kind of like philosophies were were sort of developed uh, and it's quite interesting to read up about the the sort of um, history of Viennese coffee houses and uh, one thing I didn't realize is that it's actually well first of all there's a thing called UNESCO intangible cultural heritage uh, so these are like things like the Viennese coffee houses like certain dances in certain African countries uh, and it's basically like this has been deemed a heritage of, of the country, but it's not like tangible. Uh, so the Viennese coffee houses are actually uh, a, an intangible UNESCO world like cultural heritage. Um, and it's quite interesting to read about like, you know, how, uh, you know, in, in those coffee houses, they have, you know, waiters wear tuxedos usually. Uh, the waitresses usually have like a white blouse. And it's quite interesting that the uh, the way that I read in one article that they described the the job of being a waiter in uh, the coffee houses is that it's in the domain of what might be called Schrod Schrodinger's waiter, delicately walking the line between arrogance and affability. You could never know if they were friendly or unfriendly without opening the box. So, <laughs> which kind of makes sense in the case of some of the baristas that you might have uh, interacted with. All right. Um, 
but it also led into like things like the cultural uh like the the industrial revolution pre the industrial revolution especially when we were in a more agrarian society is like we were all buzzed all of the time because we were just drinking alcohol in that uh water tended to be contaminated there was cholera and all this other bad stuff and so brewing beer would essentially kill the microbes in the water and make alcohol safer to consume than water and so everyone was just drinking alcohol as a norm um, however one once we started going into the industrial revolution people started switching to coffee because coffee was like the perfect drug for the industrial revolution in that it allowed you to break away from the rhythm of the sun uh, and for you to remain focused yeah i mean it, it's like it's hard to like uh discount such a an important factor right uh you think about all of these people who are working in factories going to their jobs uh you know coming up with designs even like before that you know just the you know printing presses those kind of things like coffee must have played such a important part in providing that productivity even today like you know i don't think there's many people who start their day without a cup of coffee uh, although to be fair it is becoming more commonplace a, a couple of people in my office have uh, um, you know gone completely off coffee but yeah it is something that you know drives people and it does give people a little that little bit of a boost of uh, mental ability you know endurance and i think if you think about that in contrast you know you know to maybe a future where you know coffee will be harder to come by uh or it will be more expensive or out of the reach of like normal people um then it's you know there's a potential that it's going to have a large impact on the productivity of human human humanity as a species uh, yeah is that michael pollan actually who wrote the book on coffee uh he posits that once business owners instituted the coffee break, they saw productivity rise in the offices and workshops uh, that they owned. But interestingly enough, they also saw a decrease in injury, right? In that people were a lot more focused and they weren't, you know, getting their hands stuck in looms and falling down stairs and stuff like that. And so it was really good for productivity and uh, currently is, I mean, like, the ability to sit down and focus on caffeine, assuming you don't have too much of it, is completely, completely credible. I've experienced it very, very much myself. Um, and this this led to, like, went through the Age of Enlightenment. You know, Newton was known to frequent coffee houses. Uh, Pascal was said to drink, like, 70-something cups of coffee a day, although I think that's fairly dubious. Um and this led to, as you said, the, the coffee houses in, in Vienna, as well as the coffee houses in London, uh, which were where like thinkers came to, to chat about their ideas and stuff. And one of those coffee houses, interestingly enough, turned into the London Stock Exchange. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a look. I saw like there's there was reference to, I think, you know, the first coffee shop that was started. Um in the uk and i think it was around uh it's, it's actually on oxford's queen's lane coffee house uh and it was brought you well it was, came from coffee that was brought from the british east india company and the dutch east india company they brought it to the uk uh to london and it's they established that coffee shop in 1654 and i think good, it is still in existence year. but i yeah it's a good year but i haven't <laughs> i haven't visited yet 
Uh, and as you said, like during the Enlightenment, like English coffee houses were, uh, they became the place for deep religious conversations, political discussions. Uh, and I think, as you can imagine, uh, there were some sort of discussions against the sort of royal families and those kind of things. And I think in Charles, uh, Charles II made an attempt to crush coffee houses in 1675. And this was after there was about more than 3,000 coffee shops that, or coffee houses that had started up throughout uh throughout england so it really did lead to first the industriousness and also the culture is what led to uh you know people becoming better thinkers uh i can imagine there were a lot of authors that were uh, frequenting these coffee shops and a lot of the sort of classic novels would have come from that that period of time uh so you know having the ability to culturally bring people together via the coffee shop uh having the productivity of the caffeine these are all good things that we should uh, try and uh, look after and absolutely it's hard hard to do that when you think of things like climate change which are sort of affecting equatorial regions where uh, coffee is grown uh, particularly uh, you know uh, places like brazil uh, there's also the whole thing of them cutting down the amazon rainforest to plant uh, coffee plants um uh, I think you actually, did you say you went to a coffee plantation? Uh, you went to? Yeah, when I was in Thailand, I went to a coffee plantation uh, in the mountains outside of Chiang Mai. And very, very interesting. Um, you know, it, it was farmed in the traditional method of people carrying big baskets on their back. And they go and they pick only the right co- ripe coffee beans. And coffee beans are actually fairly interesting in that they're very, very, it's very difficult to automate cultivation because they tend to grow in mountains just due to, in a lot of cases, the requirement for that altitude to get the temperature and humidity right. And uh, so it's very hilly and machines don't do well with hills. Um, But secondly is they ripen at different rates. So you will have uh, a whole bunch of beans together and some of them or fruits together and some of them will turn red before while others are still completely green and you have you can only harvest the red red ones and so this is a pretty tricky manual uh process to automate because you know as you know image recognition as well as climbing mountains and picking fruit is something humans are great at at the moment but uh and this also leads to shitty things like you mentioned earlier of you know potential slave labor and um stuff like that in in poorer and less uh, regulated parts of the world. What do you think of the term fair trade? I think that the term fair trade is kind of like the term dolphin friendly in that (laughs) it, it probably comes from good intentions, but is something that you can currently purchase and I don't trust it for shit. Yeah, I I think so too. I think there's a certain element of, uh, yeah, the intentions are good. Uh, People want to make sure that, you know, uh, the coffee trade is equitable and people are not getting uh, enslaved uh, because of it. But I think it's also, as a consumer, it's very hard to uh, verify whether your coffee bean is fair trade or not. Um, so interestingly enough, the uh, author and podcaster duo brothers, uh, John and Hank Green, they recently started a coffee company uh, they started a coffee uh, distributor, roastery, whatever, with the 
the nuance or the uniqueness of it being that they actually personally go and verify every step of the process to make sure that it is actually fair trade because it turns out there's so much unethical stuff happening in the coffee industry because it is such a huge industry coming predominantly from third world countries with uh, lower access to policing and regulation and human rights and stuff like that. Um, and so uh, them setting up something like this is fairly interesting. However, you do not solve the problem of, you know, global coffee uh, malpractice by having one small coffee thing. It like you need to have better regulation. You need to hold companies like, say, Starbucks accountable for the coffee that they buy it and they have to go and make sure that if they're selling you know a million cups a day that it's not coming from beans that are harvested by children yeah exactly i think by having both uh, customer awareness of things like fair trade and also better ways to enforce the quality uh, and do those checks and balances along the route uh, along the supply chain you can actually do a lot of good like uh, that specific thing of like uh, Starbucks enforcing their producers to be fair trade uh, is the same thing as like in the in the environmental sense. You know, you you start to see things like in Europe they have uh, a green sort of uh, agenda or there's a green sort of uh, way of thinking. And so I think recently there was a thing in South Africa where some of the South African companies now because they produce for the U the EU markets. The EU markets are now saying we want you as a producer to be more environmentally friendly. So that is moving its way all the way to the source, but mm. without like proper verification me mechanisms. And it happens in the environmental se sector as well. If you can't verify that it's green and you just you can just so easy just put a label on it and charge a premium because there is like this whole concept of a green premium or like the fair trade premium. I remember the first time I had fair trade, I was like, I was like, why is it like double the price of like a normal coffee? Uh, and I think a lot of people will do that for like profiteering, which is which is not great. But back to the coffee, back to the coffee. Uh, climate has such an important role. Uh, and especially what I realized when I was researching this is that coffee uh, in certain climates. So you get sort of the high altitude coffees, which are uh, places like Kenya, Colombia and Ethiopia. Uh, and these ones have quite frequent rain rainfall and they usually have like two harvests but the ones that are quite challenging are the ones uh, in lower altitudes like Brazil where they need to have a very well-defined rainy and dry season and that is what uh, allows it to um, you know have you know proper functioning of the plants and then it grows uh, you know uh, basically there's a distinct time when it matures but if you take that into account with Brazil um, being the biggest producer, so not having well-defined uh, wet and dry seasons because of the shift in, gli and, in climate change, um, it means that the biggest exporter of coffee is at risk of not being able to produce as much coffee. I mean, I, also Brazil is huge, right? So I think like if we break Brazil down into regions, we can say there are some regions that are at risk and there are other regions that aren't necessarily at risk. Um, but globally, you're absolutely right, is that um, coffee is a very fickle plant. It is. It needs very specific moisture. It needs yeah a very well-defined uh, wet and dry season. It needs very specific temperature. And in our current cl changing climate, it means that farms need to 
figure out how to create that those conditions, whether that means moving uh, to a different location or a different altitude um, or changing uh, the way that they grow up. Do they grow cover plants to try and retain a bit of that humidity and reduce the heat, um, et cetera, et cetera. But it also depends on the kind of coffee that you're growing. So like there are two distinct um, coffee beans. You've got your well, coffee uh varieties you've got your robusta and your arabica and if you like good coffee you're drinking arabica and if you like instant coffee you're drinking robusta i mean like with a with a bit of in between but robusta tends to be a lot more it's in the name robust <laughs> it's it grows a lot more easily but it isn't as tasty and arabica is the one that's like real fickle so we're probably not going to lose instant coffee anytime soon um but there's a good chance that at least uh, fancy coffee is going to become a lot more expensive and I think you pointed out that it already has it's gone quite quite expensive yeah so I mean within Brazil there's actually quite a small region where coffee is is grown at least 50% of the coffee comes from uh, I think there's one state uh, so it is quite even within Brazil being quite a large country it is, it is quite isolated to a certain region and I think if I remember correctly it's more towards the bottom on, on the east coast eastern coast of brazil so um yeah i actually saw uh yesterday i was at at, at uh i was in shoreditch and there was a coffee shop that had uh this like sign saying robusta revival or something so i think there is sort of a trend to bring back robusta as like a sort of variety i guess people are more prone to thinking about arabica and those, those sort of nicer coffee brands but uh, yeah, the, the price of coffee, uh, I took a look at it. So coffee, uh, not many people know this, but there's actually in Chicago, there's a Chicago, um, trade. I think it's a merchant trading board or something like that, where it's basically, it's one of the biggest commodity trading uh, places in the world. And uh, they obviously have uh, um, coffee, which is part of one of the, the goods that are traded. Uh, and I think the price is usually per, uh, I think it's per pound or per hundred pounds or something like that. Uh, and the price has gone up from around September 2020, where it was, uh, or September 2019, where it was about, you know, one, $1 ish. Uh, and now it's around, uh, it's around 225. So you can think it's increased quite a lot in terms of the price. It's about 250% increase, which is quite, uh, quite uh, interesting. <laughs> uh, so I think from, but that is kind of like the raw, the raw coffee. Uh, so in terms of like um, the raw coffee and eventually that's going to lead to coffee shops increasing their prices because they're going to buy the raw bags. Um, uh, yeah, so they're going to buy the raw bags and they're going to eventually see this sort of slight increase and that's going to trickle its way down to the actual coffee price uh, at the coffee shop. Um, the one the one way to counteract it though, so interesting enough, like it, there has been a, a previous time when it was this high and for some reason it was around 2017, I think. Uh, in 2017, the only thing I could kind of think of that caused that is there was actually quite a large sort of drought uh, sort of glo globally as well. Um, so, so, uh, yeah, so drought can cause it, but then there was like a, dr a dramatic decrease 
um, after after that time. Um, but the decrease um, only really comes about from people not really buying coffee shop coffees, right? So it's one of those like catch twenty twos, right? So if you want to have, you know, higher prices, you've got to continue to uh, overcrowd coffee shops because if there's people coming for your coffee, there's a high demand. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I went and I did this calculation myself recently just because of how much coffee I drink. And I realized if I brew coffee at home, it's a fraction of the amount that I spend at coffee shops. But I also really like coffee shops. And I understand that I go there for the ambiance and, you know, sometimes to work. Um, whereas if I make it at home, I still enjoy the coffee. And I think, you know, once I have a nice place set up in Cape Town, I'm going to be home brewing a lot more coffee. Um, but to round up this episode, I have one question for you, Jason. How do you feel about flat whites? For a while, I've kind of gone off uh, any sort of milky, milky drink. So I, I used to be quite a flat fan of like Cortado. Flat whites, uh, I mean, it's basically just like, there's no difference between that and a cappuccino, really. It's, it's a dessert for breakfast. The one thing that I do uh, appreciate uh, with something like a flat white is that you can drink it almost immediately. So I don't know if you've got this, but when you have a Americano, uh, they, first of all, it's usually piping hot and you have to have the sleeve. And if you're going anywhere with that coffee and for some reason, like there's a few barristers that I, I know them, I know what they look like, and I know who they are but they fill the coffee up too much. So it's just like, just under the rim. And I think they're being nice. They're like, yeah, I'm being nice. I'm giving this guy lots of coffee. But when you're walking, like it'll spill <laughs> off out the sides. And then you suddenly have like really like hot piping coffee burning your hand. And yeah, it's just like the, the worst experience. So you need to really appreciate coffee to have like a real dark black Americana.